Good morning, everyone. Give it up for the band, y'all. That was an amazing song. Hey, so growing up, uh, I, I went to one of these gyms that when people were working out there, there were these huge bodybuilders that were also working out there. Uh, you know, the bodybuilders, like they walk around, they got spandex on, baby oil all over their chests, and uh, they, they walk around, they could barely like fit in between anything. Um, got their shoes off, working out their toes, just weird exercises you've never seen. Uh, there was this one guy there that he was working out, and he would also work out with his girlfriend or his significant other, and she was huge too. I remember one time she walked in my direction like, hey, are you using that bench? I'm like, nope, not anymore. <laughs> you can have it. I don't want no problems with, with you at all. And I started looking at them, and I would just stare at them while they were in the gym, and I would think like, hey, what if this couple was to have a kid, like they would have the strongest kid on the planet. Like when the kid came out the womb and the doctor smacks it on his butt, the kid would just put the doctor in a headlock and just like wrestle him to the ground or something like that. Hey, wouldn't it be super weird if uh, that couple, that super strong couple, had a child and their kid was really weak? Like wouldn't it be really weird if their kid had uh, scrawny little arms and, you know, couldn't even, like, curl a five-pound uh, weight, that they couldn't even barely pick up a bag of Cheetos, it would be really, really weird and odd because we assume that kids inherit things from their parents. We assume that kids inherit traits and characteristics from their parents. So if their parents are really strong, we would assume naturally that the child should be strong that eventually one day something should be happening in that kid, that kid should have the DNA that one day he or she would be really strong. Now, we've been mentioning this scripture for the last number of weeks. Uh, it comes from the Gospel of John, uh, verses, uh, the first chapter, verses 12 through 13. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. Now, what the scripture is getting at is that everyone who places their faith in Christ doesn't get a textbook and we get called students of God. We don't get an employee handbook and learn that we are employees of God, but rather, scripture says that we are children of God. And as children of God, we should share the same qualities that God has. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to describe your spiritual life, is powerful a word that you would use? Is powerful a word that you would use to designate your spiritual life, your, your spiritual life, the way that you understand God, uh, the way that you live on a day-to-day -day basis? Would you say that you're powerful? And if not, then why not? If we are God's children and if God is powerful, uh, then as God's children, we should also be powerful, right? All throughout the Bible, it tells of God's power. In Genesis 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that there was nothing going on, and God just spoke it, and things happened. That's more powerful than even Oprah Winfrey herself. God can just speak something out, and it can happen. And all throughout Scripture, it shows you time after time of just examples of God's amazing power. So the question remains, wouldn't it be weird if God's children didn't inherit things like power from our Heavenly Father, and we were weak. Shouldn't things like power and strength be characteristics in our life? Now, there's a disconnect somewhere. Now, this is especially true. I want to make sure that 
Uh, those of you who are brand new to what's going on here at Renaissance or the church in general, uh, I want to present a nightmare for you. Wouldn't it be absolutely terrible if you were to put your faith in Jesus, whatever that means, you were to push all the chips to the center of the table, you would say, yo, Jesus, I'm all in for you, and for the rest of your life, you would just try your hardest to do a meaningless list of tasks with no extra power from God. That for the rest of your life, it was all about you trying harder, and God didn't do anything in your life to actually give you power and to give you strength and to make you stronger in him. Now, there's something interesting uh, that we see in Ephesians 1. It says, if you've placed your faith in Christ, that you and I already have something which is real power in our life, and it's called the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, to be a child of God means at the precise moment when you place your faith in Jesus, Jesus didn't give you a map to follow. He didn't give you a rule book to complete. He gave you the Holy Spirit, which would be power in your life. Now, if you're new and the, word Holy, the words Holy Spirit uh, kind of intimidate you a little bit, right? When you think of the Holy Spirit, you think about something uh, that will jump on your back and, and give you convulsions or make somebody run ar around the church, right? Or maybe when you hear the, word, uh, the words Holy Spirit, you think about just this amazing emotional experience and the time that your, your auntie was in church and she had snot coming down her nose and she was crying with both hands up. The Holy Spirit was there that day, right? Now, all throughout Scripture, uh, we see how our limitations of who God is uh, in terms of God being present in the Holy Spirit uh, and we see a much better description of who the Holy Spirit is. And it might sound a little spooky, but the Holy Spirit is, is not uh, some mystical force. Uh, it's not some detached emotional experience that only happens when the music is really banging. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God that has been given to us so that you and I could actually do the things that God would have us to do. If I were to sum up the definition of the Holy Spirit in one word, I would probably say the Holy Spirit gives us ability. The Holy Spirit gives us ability to do what God calls us to do. We see this scripture from Jesus in John 14. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, if that's true, if God is saying that the Holy Spirit will live inside of you, then why is it that if God is your father, that you would not characterize your relationship with God to be one of power? That powerful is not something you say you experience on a daily basis. Uh, I think uh, it's a disconnect. Now, fortunately, this question and this problem is not limited to people in this room uh, here today. Uh, but matter, as a matter of fact, we see in Scripture in the book of Ephesians, uh, that uh, a guy named Paul was writing a letter to this church, and they were experiencing the same thing, that they were the children of God, but for one reason or another, they weren't actually experiencing that power. Now, here's what the Holy Spirit does, and you're going to hear this over and over today, and I hope we discover this in Scripture, that the Holy Spirit takes our faith from theory to reality. It takes it from a bunch of words that you hear. It takes it from a bunch of words that you sing. It takes it from a bunch of words that you've read, and it turns it into a reality in our lives. 
So here's what Paul prays in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And if uh, this is a great scripture that I would encourage you guys to read over and over and over again this week, uh, here's how it goes. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. His spirit, in, um, uh, okay, I'm sorry, on his name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When I read this, the first thought that came to me was, why is Paul praying for them to have something that they already have? A couple chapters earlier, we just read it, that Paul says, at the moment you place your faith in Christ, God gave you the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is God and God has already given you this, then why is Paul praying for them to have power? Why is Paul praying for them to, uh, to have uh, um, uh, strength, to be strengthened, if they already have it? And here's one reason why I think uh, Paul is praying this. Paul is praying this because he knows that you and I can have something and not really experience it. That we can have the Holy Spirit, but not walk in his power. Now, let me say it like this. There is a huge difference between reading an article about honey and knowing that honey is the only food that you can have that never goes bad. And to know that, you, you know, all of the health benefits and all of the things that honey does, it gets rid of allergies. And you can uh, have jars and jars of honey in your crib. But that is so small compared to actually taking a pack of honey from Popeye's and drizzling it over a biscuit. It's a huge difference between knowing about something. It's a huge difference between having something versus experiencing it. And Paul is here saying this. Listen, when you place your faith in Christ, God gave you the Holy Spirit. But here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you can actually experience it. I'm praying that you would actually know what this Holy Spirit is all about, that you would know, that you would have real heartfelt interaction with the words that you hear, that it wouldn't just be theory, it wouldn't just be words that you hear, it wouldn't just be, oh yeah, I heard that Jesus died for me, but that would change and radically change and grip your life. It's one thing to know something, it's a, it's a completely different thing to actually experience. Now, a couple of years ago, um, my dad gave me his uh, Zeiss camera, um, he says I stole it. I say he gave it to me, tomato, tomato. Um, the point is I have it now. That's the only thing that matters. And he told me that it wasn't working well and I would have to take it to the shop. Um, and I took it to a bunch of different places and nobody wanted to work on it because it's so old and so rare. And I took it to this one shop and I, I went behind the counter. I put, it on the, I put it on the desk for the man to look at. He really wasn't paying attention to me at first. He really was kind of off doing something else. And he finally looked up and he saw the camera. And immediately he dropped his pen. He says, yo, where did you get that? How did you get this camera? Like, what do you do for a living? Are you a photographer? And he was just running, you know, question after question after question. And I said, listen, I just have it. It was collecting dust in, in my apartment. I actually thought it looked pretty cool. I can get on Instagram and people would think I'm a photographer. Um, <laughs> 
And listen, I had something in my crib collecting dust that is amazingly powerful and valuable. And I think what Paul is getting at to the church in Ephesus is the same thing I think he would tell us, that you have the Holy Spirit. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, God gave you the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between having something and experiencing something. There's a huge difference between having something and actually experiencing it. And and this is what uh, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit does in our life. The Holy Spirit takes our faith from just theory and words to an actual lived experience that you and I can know and can feel at a deep, deep level. And the Holy Spirit inside of us, he can do more than we can ask or imagine or even think according to that power that is at work within us now. Now, what is that power of the Holy Spirit? Now, a lot of times, especially if you grew up in a charismatic church, when you hear the power of the Holy Ghost, right? What do you think about? Somebody, you know, being slain in the spirit or, or, or whatever. I remember going to a church and the guy was, pastor was praying for people in the front. And as he was going out, he was just laying dudes out, just like mushing people. Boom. And I was like, yo, he's not going to lay me out. So I put one leg behind the other. And I was like, if he's going to get me, he's going to really get me. He's not going to just, it's all about, you got to get your turn, your hips turned. <laughs> Now, a lot of people limit or lower the Holy Spirit to some random encounter on a church where everybody's excited and then people are laid out running around and the music is really good. Uh, but the power that, the Holy, that Paul is talking about, the Holy Spirit, is much bigger and much better than a church service. It's much bigger and much better than an emotional feeling that you have that comes between 1130 and 1245 on a Sunday morning. Uh, What Paul is talking about is that you and I would be able to actually grasp God's love for us. Now, that might sound a little bit anticlimactic, uh, but here's what Paul is saying uh, in verse 16. He says, he's praying that God will grant you according to his riches and glory, his power to strengthen us. Now, how does his power actually work? Um, Paul is saying that this, listen, how the Holy Spirit actually works in your life is he takes the gospel from this theory And he applies it to your heart so that you really feel it and you really experience it. Now, let me explain the gospel and define it real quick of what it is. It's not a genre of music. Uh, The gospel is that God himself entered into this world through the person of Jesus Christ and took every last one of your sins and nailed it to the cross. And that same Jesus, after he nailed your sins to the cross, gave you the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to empower you, to conform you to be more and more like himself, and his promises are solid, and his love for you is enduring. Now, what Paul is praying for here is that you and I would have a spiritual sensitivity to the gospel, that it wouldn't be something that you would hear and say, yeah, 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 I heard that before, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Man, talk about something that's real. Talk about how God is going to get me, uh, pay for this Con Ed bill that's mounting up. When is God going to give me my man? That's what I want to know. Don't talk about no, no gospel. And we think that we need God to answer a certain series of prayers. And it's one thing that's so interesting to me. The church in Ephesus had so many issues going on in their community. There was crazy persecution. There was high infant infant mortality. There was so much stuff going on. And Paul doesn't pray for any circumstantial change in their life. The real power is not that their circumstances go from one thing to another. Their real power is that they would actually become sensitized to the gospel, and that that would be real in their lives. And I think if Paul was writing this church to you today, uh, I think if you inserted your name in that prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, uh, that Paul's prayer for you and that God's heart for you 
would be that you have a real sensitivity to really embrace and understand and feel and know what the gospel is. Now, to understand what I'm talking about, right, so we got the camera back. Uh, in the old days, uh, this was well before iPhones, uh, you had real cameras with film. Now, the film, in order for it to actually take a real picture, it had to first be sensitized to the light. And it was treated with a certain chemical in order to make it sensitive to light so that when you press the shutter and it goes off, light bounces off of the object that you're pointing at, and then it comes back into the camera, and then that image is now seized on the film. That image is now gripped onto the film, and it's never going anywhere. But if that film is not sensitized, when the shutter goes off and light bounces off, it will do nothing to the film. It won't grab it. It won't grip it. It won't seize it. It won't have any effect on the film, which is why you can have a hundred different people in a church service all experiencing different things because not everybody has the sensitivity to actually experience the words that we read, the words that we sing, to, uh, or even just the beauty of the gospel. And here's what Paul is saying. He's praying that you would have a spiritual sensitivity so that when you hear the gospel, when you hear God's love for you, it wouldn't just be something you're like, yeah, 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 been there, done that, but it would be something that would leave a mark on your life. And he says that that's power. Here's one of the best ways I know how to explain it. Uh, one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult thing in Christianity is the concept of forgiveness. How do you forgive someone that has done you wrong? How do you forgive yourself for doing any of the things that you hate yourself doing? Now, here's what Paul is saying. If you struggle to forgive someone, he's saying that it's not your willpower that's going to make you forgive them. It's not anything that's inside of you, but rather it's a sensitivity to the gospel. And here's what I mean. Uh, if you can experience for one brief moment, if you can be seized, if you can be gripped with the beauty of the gospel that once upon a time, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating blood. And as he was walking to the cross, he was beaten and mocked, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And as he was being beaten and mocked, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he goes to the cross, and Scripture says, every last one of your sins was nailed to that cross. And if, if that becomes a felt reality, if when you hear the gospel, you see yourself not any more guilt, no more shame, but fully forgiven, then you will have power to forgive someone. But if those words come in and go out without leaving a mark on your life, you'll have no power to forgive. And everything we want in life, uh, joy, peace, love, happiness, all of the different things, the fruit of the Spirit uh, that we can hear about, all of those things are dependent on us actually becoming sensitive and sensitized to the gospel. Show me a guilty man or a guilty woman that received grace when they knew they didn't deserve it, and I'll show you somebody who will forgive. Show me anybody who actually got grace when they knew they didn't deserve it, and that grace liberated them, and I will show you somebody who is ready to forgive. Listen, all of the things that are deep down struggles for, for you and for me, here's what Paul is saying. Ultimately, what we need is not necessarily a circumstantial change, although we should pray for that, for God to do things in our life. Ultimately, what we need is to become sensitized to the gospel, that it changes from theory to reality, that it takes root in our heart. Now, one of the most amazing things I love about this scripture, uh, probably one of the more quoted scriptures in Christianity, if you've been around a block a couple times, it comes in uh, verse 20, and here's what Paul is getting at on this one. 
He's saying that God's power is more than we can ask or imagine. God's power in your life is more than you can ask or imagine. I want you to think about the best case scenario for your life. Best case scenario. Internally in your life or externally what God can do. Best case scenario, Paul is saying that you haven't even scratched the surface. Ephesians 3 and 20 says it like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can all ask, than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Now, we have a teaching team at Renaissance, and every week before we uh, bring a sermon to stage, we've talked about it in a group of people. Uh, and this past week, my wife said something in teaching team that has really struck me, and is, I've been thinking about it all, all week. Most of the time before, when I would read that scripture about God can do immeasurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine, I would think about all of the things that God could do in my life, right? God can give me a rent-controlled apartment with outdoor space. God can make it happen, even though Craigslist can't. But one of the more neglected things I think about the scripture is that what Paul is really getting at here uh, is not simply that God can do more in your life externally. God can bring this job or this relationship. God can heal this or do whatever. I think what Paul is getting at is that God can do more inside of you than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. That internally, your experience with God, your experience with the gospel, your experience, your actual life could be way bigger, way better than you could ever ask think, or even care to dream. That whatever limitation you have put on your spiritual life uh, is, is not a real one. That God, through his Holy Spirit, can actually strengthen you to turn you into somebody that has a real, real experience uh, with God. Now, that DNA of the Holy Spirit is working out inside of us something that's more powerful than you and I could ever ask or imagine. Now, I remember... Uh, 15 or so years ago, being brand new uh, in church, and I remember having these goals in my life that I wanted to go to church twice a month, and I wanted to stop, you know, stop going to dice games, and I, and I had all of these goals for my life, and I never in one million years, never ever thought that I would end up on a stage talking to anybody about Jesus, let alone being a pastor or starting a church. That was the farthest thing from my imagination, and I've seen in my own life that God can do more inside of you than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. And I'm not talking about going into ministry. Please stay in your job. God needs you where, where you are. Being in ministry is not any better than working your nine to five. But here's what, here's what I am saying. What are the limitations that you have in your life? What are the things that when you think about you'll never be able to do it, uh, I'll never be able to forgive that person. I, I just try. I tried it. I can't do it. It's not going to happen. Let me just not think about it. Or I'll never be able to get off of this plateau that I'm on. I've been here for a couple of years. This is just kind of who I am, right? I've been here for however many years. This is just me. I'm not going to change from this place. Here's what Scripture tells us, and this is so good. God can do way more than you can even imagine God doing in your life. And thank God, his power in our life is not limited by our understanding or our limitations. Now, this is especially true for people who are new, and you're thinking, man, I really... I'm feeling something. I'm feeling something that's going on in my life. And you know what? I'm considering taking this next step towards Jesus, whatever that looks like for your life. But first, let me go and let me kind of fix some things up first on the side. Uh, let me make sure that I'm doing a better job. Let me clean up a little bit before I come to Jesus because, you know, Jesus is not going to just accept me as I am. And I got to do some things first before God will accept me. Here's what I want to tell you. Let me save you a few months of frustration and misery. 
God can do more in you right now. Listen, God can do more in you right now than you can ask, dream, or imagine. And there is no formula you have to do. There is no class that you have to take. There is no nine-step process that you have to go through in order to experience transformation in your life. All you have to do is give your life over to Jesus, and he will do the rest inside of us. Now, there's a, a legend about Alexander the Great. I don't know how true it is, but it sounds like a really good story, so pretend it is. Uh, Alexander the Great uh, had a servant, a, a soldier in his army that he really loved. And uh, this soldier asked Alexander the Great, would he pay for his wedding? And he had done him service for so many years. He says, absolutely, I'll pay for your wedding. Go to my finance manager and you know, tell him how much you need. So the man goes to the finance manager and tells him how much it is. The finance manager runs back to Alexander the Great and says, yo, this guy is absolutely bugging. He, you know, they, they use the word bugging back in BC days. <laughs> you have no idea how much this guy's wedding costs. Like, you'll never agree to pay for it once you know how much this thing is. And Alexander the Great looked at him and says, I want you to pay it because this man does me a great honor by asking me for this much because he believes that I am both rich and generous. He believes that I have the resources and the generosity to actually give him such an insane amount for his wedding. Now, I wondered that if we believe uh, that God is both rich and powerful and generous with us. I wonder, do we have limitations on God that God won't do certain things on our life or that, you know, God really isn't that generous with us? But listen, here's the thing. God wants you to experience his power. God wants you to experience real life with him, and God is both powerful and rich and generous all at the same time. So that reason, Paul tells us to, to come to God in prayer and for God to ask God to uh, give us real life power in our lives. Now, one of the things that's so amazing even about photography is that even once the film is seized and gripped with an image, you still have to take it out and develop it, right? You can't just leave it in the camera and expect it to be on your wall. You have to take it out, and you have to develop it. And this is what I think uh, Paul is getting at in this one scripture about what God would have me and you to do in order to partner with the Holy Spirit's work in us. So what Paul is not saying in the scripture, and what we're not saying, is that God is going to give you the Holy Spirit, and all you got to do is sit back, turn on Netflix, and just let it happen. Uh, that's not what's going on here. Uh, but the opposite is true. There's a couple of things that you and I have to do in order to really experience this on a real level. In verse 18, uh, Paul lets us know a concept that says that we have to fight to grasp God's power. That it doesn't come passively, but you and I have to fight in order to grasp God's power. Look at verse 18. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now that word grasp there in verse 18 is a fighting word. It's, uh, uh, it's a fighting word. It means like to wrestle. And if you've ever been in a fight or watched a boxing match or UFC, nobody's ever facing an opponent that goes like this and is like, all right, go ahead, hit me, and just takes punches right to the face. It's assumed that any enemy that you're fighting or wrestling is going to be elusive. They're going to try to evade you. And here's what Paul is saying in the scripture. That there is something inside of you that is going to try to evade God's power in your life. 
There's something inside of you, as Paul talks about in Romans 7, that there's no good thing that lives within me that is within my flesh, right? There is a natural impulse that you will always have to run away from God's power, to run away from God's leading in your life. And here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to grasp. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to wrestle to put yourself in front of the mirror in order to see the truth of God's word. Now, there's so many things that I think people uh, wrestle with, and certainly this one includes myself. And I think the first thing that you're going to have to wrestle with is to be in community, to really know someone, and to, to have people that really know you. I'm not talking about the pretty version, the Instagram version of you, uh, but that people that really know you and have the right to speak into your life. There's something inside of all of us that's going to want to resist that. But Paul says something amazing uh, in this scripture. Uh, he says uh, in um, verse 18, uh, I want you to have power together with all the saints to grasp the love of God. You and I do this much better in community uh, than we do as an individual. Our walk with God might be personal, but it is certainly not individual. And you're going to have to fight to be in community. You're going to have to fight to go to, play, to go to things even though you'd rather watch another series on Netflix. You're going to have to fight to be vulnerable and talk to people about the real stuff that's going on in your life because you are not on your own going to feel like doing it. And you're going to have to fight to do it. Another thing that I think all of us have to struggle with and, and wrestle with and, and grasp against is to follow wherever God leads us. Now, so many times I think that when we think about us following God's commands, we think that God is like show enough in The Last Dragon that, tell, that tells us to kiss his converse and to bow down and submit to, to him. But what God always wants to give us at the end of our following him or the end of our obedience is something that is meant for our good. And there's going to be something inside of you right now. I can bet right now, even us talking about it this second, you can think of some things that you know God is probably calling you to do. Maybe it's being a little bit more generous with your money. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe you have to be a little bit more bold and courageous, whatever it is, that there's something inside of you that fights against that, that doesn't want to do that naturally. And here's what I think this scripture is getting at, that you're going to have to fight in order to do whatever it is that God is calling us to do, because at the end of us following God's command, we can experience God's power. There's a scripture in John 9 where Jesus is talking to a blind man, and he says, Jesus made some mud with his saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. He went and did exactly what Jesus told him to do, even though I'm sure it didn't make a whole lot of sense to him. And he experienced God's power because he just did what God told him to do. To a certain extent, all of our lives are going to need to be like that in order to experience God. And we need to identify, hey, where is it that God is leading us? And we just need to have the courage to go ahead and do it so that we can experience God's power in our life. And the last thing that I think we're going to uh, really have to fight for uh, in our lives in order to develop this uh, awareness of God and, and the gospel in our lives is to have a regular, consistent time with God in Scripture and in prayer. Hey, one of the most uh, difficult things about our generation is that we are extremely feelings-led. And if we think, we think that our feelings are the best indicators of what we should be doing. If I feel like doing it, then I should do it. Then it's real. Then it's authentic. Our culture loves authenticity. And we don't always ask the question, what is wise? We ask the question, what do I feel like doing? Now, every single morning, I have to wrestle with myself. I have to grasp myself 
to bring myself in front of a quiet time to spend time with God because I would always, 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 always more naturally drift towards ESPN in the morning. There is something inside of you that is always going to be elusive. You're not going to want to spend time with, uh, in, in Scripture or in prayer in the morning or whatever time of the day uh, is good for you. You're not, it's not going to come naturally to you. And in order for you to experience, for you to have developed inside of you the, the, the image of God that God wants to produce in us, we are going to have to fight against busyness, uh, against just loading our calendars up with so many different things, against just going you know, with whatever we feel in order to sit down and to be silent, in order to experience God's real power and real transformation in our lives. Now, here's some amazing news. Um, here's what we'll discover, especially if you spend some time, uh, you know, longer periods of time with God. Here's one thing that you, you're going to eventually discover. There's a scripture that Paul says in Philippians 3 and 12. Um, he says this, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And here's what Paul is saying. The good news of the gospel is that even better than you grasping and getting God is that Jesus already has a grasp of you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That much better news than the fact that Christ lives in me, it's way better that you live in Christ. And here's what Jesus says in John 18 and 9, and this is the best news that you and I could ever have. He says, I have not lost, I have not lost one. That everyone that the Father has placed in Jesus' hands, he has not lost any. And in all of our pursuits to grasp, to go after God, Scripture tells us that God already has a hold of us. And if you and I are to experience God's power in our lives, uh, I think it is true that we're going to need to meditate uh, more and more and to fight, to put ourselves in front of the mirror of God's Word so that we can behold and we can see and we can live in and we can experience that power of God in our lives. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, there's so many uh, things that can come in the way of us um, experiencing life with you. Uh, there's so often that we are uh, distracted, so often that we are um, going in a thousand different directions mentally. And God, we don't experience real power in our lives. Father, I pray that even as words will be sung and read and preached, God, that these words would take a hold of our hearts and they would seize them. And there would be our hearts will be gripped by the truth of the gospel. God, I pray for those in here who don't even know what the next step is, that they would know um, just the real power that comes from putting themselves before you and whatever limitations that they would have for themselves, that those limitations would be blown away. Lord, would you meet us in this place? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.